Proverbs that uh, King, King Sa uh, Solomon was personally responsible for. He was a king that reigned about a thousand years before Jesus Christ was born. And we see that, we, we, we know that the Proverbs that he has compiled for us are Proverbs that are born out of the law of God, the truth that comes from the law of God. And so we know it's reliable. We know that it's, it's God's word to us. And so as we go through these Proverbs, I, my, my prayer is that your heart will be refreshed and encouraged. Now, Jesse, my son, was talking to him on the phone last night. And uh, we, were, we, we got chatting about Mother's Day. And he said, hey, Dad, did you hear about this... Uh, this expert in Australia who says that parents should be asking the, their baby's permission to change their diaper. <laughs> I said, Jesse, that's fake news. <laughs> he goes, no, Dad, it's, it's real. And so I, when I got in this morning at 7 a.m., I checked my email, and there was, there was the link to this. And this woman, uh, pink hair, She's an expert. She, it's, that's what she calls herself, an expert. She says that a parent, what a parent needs to do is needs to ask their newborn permission to change the baby's diaper. And so the person was interviewing her, asked, well, how would you know? And so the, this woman says, what you do is you ask the baby, can I change your diaper? I'm not kidding, folks. This is what she says. And then she says, you, you wait for the response. Now, obviously, babies can't can't speak. They only know my diaper's wet, change this thing. Ah! Right? So this woman seems to think that babies can communicate exactly what they want. Folks, it's this kind of stuff. It's this kind of nonsense that the world keeps throwing at us. And we, being gullible, we listen to this and we think, well, maybe there's something to it. Here's what I want to do. I'm sure there's a lot of good advice out there, but let's first go to the scripture and let's see what the Bible has to say about how to live and how to get through life. Life is hard. It's hard being a mom. It's hard being a dad. It's hard, it's hard maintaining a, a good, solid family. Somebody once said that a family is, is the breeding ground for mental illness. Uh, I think it was said tongue-in-cheek. But oftentimes, family is crazy. And so what we need to do, again, go to the scriptures and find out how does God want us to live? How are we going to get through this life in a way that is pleasing to God? Now, I was just in Victoria with uh, all kinds of missionaries and, and pastors, about 1,500 of us anyway. And all the pastors were all joking, hey, what are you preaching when you get back to church on Sunday? Preaching some Proverbs 31, right? The, the wife of noble character. And some of you are familiar with that passage. I remember Marilyn Wedlake saying how much she hated that chapter because she said it was a standard way too high for anybody to reach. And, and, and Marilyn's argument was that it's typical of a man to come up with something too difficult for a woman to live out. So she's not here to defend herself. But if you're listening, uh, I, would, I would argue that, that the Proverbs 31 woman does not come from a man, but in fact comes from a woman. And I'll, I'll show you that in just a moment. But in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, let me just share quickly a little bit about a woman of noble character. Where are my glasses? Forgot them. Okay, here we go. I'm going to try this without my glasses. Anybody have 
could find a virtuous and capable wife? She's more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She will bring him good, not harm, all the days of her life. It's all about her. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She is like a merchant ship bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household. Hey, how many women had breakfast in bed this morning? I had breakfast in bed. My wife made it for me because she is a Proverbs 31 woman. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for the household and and plans the day's work for the servant girls. That's what Gloria did. Uh, she goes to inspect a field and buys it with her earnings and plants a vineyard. She's energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fibers. She extends a helpful hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. Is anybody worn out yet? She has no fear of winter for her household. For everyone has warm clothes. She makes her, her own bedspreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. And her husband is well known at the city gates where, she sits, where he sits with other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She's clothed with strength and dignity. And she laughs without fear of the future. And when she speaks, her words are wise. And she gives instruction with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Are you tired? I'm tired. Her children stand. Listen to this. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let, the deed, let her deeds publicly declare her praise. Well, that's the second half of chapter... 31 of Proverbs. And again, uh, many think that this was written by a man. Well, it may have been written by a man, but I believe it comes from a woman. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 31 of Proverbs, it says, it begins by saying, These are the sayings of King Lemuel. This is a message which his mother taught him. Did you ever see that? This is a Jewish mother that wants the best for her son. And so she's saying to him, hey, when, you, when it comes time for you to get a wife, here's what she's got to look like. And King Lemuel dutifully wrote down all the notes. He's got his wish list. He knows exactly what he wants in a woman. Now, I'm not, trying to, I'm not mocking this chapter at all, but what, what, I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help us to see the worth of a mother, the birth of a, of a good woman. This mother wants the best for her son. She wants her son to get the kind of woman that is just like her. The name Lemuel, in case you're wondering who King Lemuel is, Lemuel means for God or devoted to God, and many scholars believe that Lemuel was a pet name that, Samuel, uh, that uh, Solomon's mother had for him, and any time that she would have addressed him, she would have addressed him as dear Lemuel, that is, m my, my dear son who's devoted to God. And, uh, and so, I mean, this is, this is a common thing. Mothers have pet names for their kids. My mother used to call me Allie. 
But nobody here has permission to use that nickname. <laughs> Not even my wife. So here's Lemuel, a pet name for Solomon. And we see Solomon writes, writes down all the instructions from his mom. There's a, few, there's a few verses I haven't read to you yet, which I'm going to do in just a few moments. But before I, I share these thoughts of this mother, I want to point out to you who Solomon's mother was. Her name was Bathsheba. And some of you know that Bathsheba, before she was the mother of Solomon, was in fact the woman who committed adultery with King David. Here's what I know as a, as a pastor, as somebody who has done counseling for years, somebody who has tried to be sensitive to the needs of all my congregation. I know that some mothers here feel that maybe they are not a great mother. They, they think badly of themselves. You think, I'm, I'm a lousy mother. I, I, I've made too many mistakes in life. I've, I've screwed up too many times. I've set a bad example for my kids. What do I have to offer my kids? Well, now I want you to remember Bathsheba, the one who is an adulterer, the one who was bathing provocatively in eyesight of King David so that he was aroused enough to call her to his bedchamber. Stop and consider this for a moment. This Bathsheba, this notorious bad girl of the Old Testament, does she have anything to teach us? Absolutely. God is a God of second chances. In fact, God is the one who can take us as we are with all of our, with all of our warts and all of our foibles and follies and all of our nonsense and all of our, our sins and our mistakes of the past, and God can take it and make something beautiful out of it. And here's Bathsheba, the one who was the, the adulterer, adulterer who is now in a position to influence Solomon, who is known as the wisest and the richest man in the world. It's been said that no one was as wise or as rich as Solomon before or since. This man is influenced by this bad girl of the Old Testament. Think about that for a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Think about the fact that God can still use you, not because of your righteousness, not because you are so perfect, not because you never have made a mistake, but because you have learned what it means to repent and you have learned what it means to turn your life over to God and allow God to have his way in your life. Someone say hallelujah this morning. You think God can't use you? You think that God has washed his hands of you? Listen, if God can use Bathsheba, then God can use you. And God did use Bathsheba powerfully, mightily. Here's what's got to happen, though. You've got to learn how to talk to your kids. You've got to learn what it means to have conversations. Your children love you, not because you're perfect, not because you've got a perfect past, not because you've never made a mistake. Your kids love you because you love them. And so your job as a mother and as a father is to have conversations with your kids, is to talk to your kids, to pour out your hearts to your kids, to let your kids know what's happened in your life. This is a problem that too many of us make. In our pride, we don't want our kids to know the truth. We don't want our kids to know that we struggled as well. And so our poor kids go through life struggling 
And they look at us as though we've never made a mistake in our life. And we give those kids, our kids, that impression. We, we always had it all together. We never sinned. We never made a mistake. We never, what's temptation? I never heard of that. And you can quickly see why your kids could come to the conclusion that your Christianity is all baloney. What is your Christianity? Is it a celebration of the God who makes us victorious through Jesus Christ? Or are we a collection of church ladies that pretend we got it all together and we never make a mistake? God save us from that kind of fake religion. The thing that made Bathsheba the great woman, the great mother that she was, was not that she had a stellar past, but that she had her eyes on God and she was prepared to admit her sin, admit her faults. And she was willing to tell her kids about it. If you get nothing, out of, nothing else out of what I'm going to say to you today, remember this one thing. Parents, talk to your kids. Talk to them. Don't nag them. Don't berate them. But have conversations with them. Discuss with them what life is about. Based on your experience, on what you've been through. Stop pretending. Recently, I asked Nicholas and Sarah. Yeah, I said, you guys are you're adults now. So just, could you just tell me? And you're not going to hurt my feelings if it's, if, 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 if what you say is something that, you know, is unpleasant. But I just want to know. When it comes to parenting, you guys, what did we do right? And interesting, both of them said the same thing, which really surprised me. They said, Dad, in, in raising us, you always had conversations with us. You always discussed what was right and what was wrong. And then you explained why it was wrong, why it wasn't a good thing to do that. And you explained why. And you gave lots of examples as to why it was good to do certain things. So I said, that's it? Let's just talk to you? That was the thing? And that was it. And both Nicholas and Sarah, independent of the other, felt exactly the same way. Is because we had conversations with our kids. We discussed everything with them. We were, we were honest and upfront about, about life and about the things that are going on around us. Look what, look what the king's mom says. When the virtuous woman, when that good, good woman speaks, her words are wise. And she gives instructions with kindness. Hey, ladies, you want to be the kind of mother that your kids want to listen to? Stop nagging them. And stop acting like you're a school teacher or a professor with your lectures. Sit down and talk to them about life. Talk to them about your struggles. Talk to them about your temptation. <gasps> Mothers have temptations? Yeah. And all the ladies said? Well, there's only three women that would admit that. <laughs> this is why I had to preach this sermon. Mothers have temptations. Mothers have struggles. 
Mothers have problems. Mothers have difficulties. I'm going to tell you, if you want to reach your kids, start being honest with them. Start telling them the truth. Start telling them what, what goes on in your heart and what you've got to wrestle with. Start sharing with them some of your own problems and your own difficulties. They, they already know you got a bad temper. They already know that you can be edgy. They already know that you know, there's certain times of the month when it's difficult to have conversations. They already know. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something very authentic about a person who will be honest about that. That's the kind of person you can have a relationship with. It's the person who's a hypocrite, a phony, an actor. You can't connect with them. As hard as you try, they're pretending. They're not real. You don't know who they are because they're not being honest. They're not really being open. They're not really pouring out their heart to you. And mothers, if you're going to be the awesome mothers that your kids want to have, all you have to do is start being honest, start talking, start having conversations, start saying, hey, you know what? We messed up when we were younger, but we corrected it, and now life is better because of that. Look at the way it was, now look at the way it is. It's so much better because we made certain decisions. When we were young, we were stupid, and, there, and it ended up in disaster. We changed our ways, and things are much better in our lives now. And the kids said, yeah, that makes sense. I want what you've got, mom and dad. The king's mom says, hey, the virtuous woman, the godly woman, the woman that you want to have as your wife, the, the woman that you want to be the mother of your children, when she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. So what did the king's mother teach him? Well, Besides telling him what kind of a wife, what kind of a noble wife he should have, she did give him three very important instructions. Let me just quickly share them with you. Three things that the king's mum warns him about. In verse 2 of chapter 31, O my son, O son of my womb, O son of my vows, do not waste your strength on women, on those who ruin kings. That's the first thing. She is teaching her son to free sexual immorality. She's warning Lemuel, her dear, dear son, not to fall into the trap of sexual immorality. How many, how many of us, like my age, remember conversations with their parents about sex? We never talked about sex. I remember my dad gave, my dad's not in this service, he'd be in this second, so I can't say it there. <laughs> but I remember when, when we had the, the, the conversation about, about sex, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was really quite wonderful how we did it. He began by opening the Bible. Um, and some of you were thinking, well, there's nothing in the Bible that gives explicit sex talks. Well, actually... He began with the Virgin Mary, and then he said, do you know what a virgin is? And that's how it began. So there's my brothers and I sitting with our head. <laughs> I don't want to hear this. I don't, want to, I don't want to know anything about this. Can we just move on from here? And here's this woman talking very explicitly to her son about sexuality, but not just about sexuality, but about immorality, 
about things that are sexually immoral. Hey, remember, this is Bathsheba. This is what we think. We think it's Bathsheba that's warning her son about women who are just like her. Wow. What a brave woman. What a, what a wonderful woman this Bathsheba is. She said, hey, you know, this is what I did. Stay clear of women like me. Oh, like what I was. That's pretty powerful stuff. Now, I don't want anybody to think I'm picking on Bathsheba. I've got to remind you one more thing about Bathsheba. If you turn to Matthew chapter 1 and you read the lineage of Jesus Christ, lo and behold, who's in the lineage but Bathsheba? A great-grandmother of Jesus. And here's what it says in Matthew 1.6. Jesse was the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. It says that there. Remember Uriah? Killed by David? That's all there, right in the genealogy. Hey, folks, this is the power of Jesus Christ to transform your life and to rescue you and to make something great out of the mess that you make. This is what Bathsheba is passing on to her son. Wow, that's powerful stuff. My son, stay clear of immoral women. Mothers, you've got to be honest with your kids. Don't pretend. Your kids are going to sin, and they're going to go through extremely difficult times. They're going to mess up. I'm going to tell you, they need to know there's hope. And the only way that they know that there's hope for the future is by having a mother that's honest, that can tell the truth. And say, son, my daughter, I went through the same thing. But when I surrendered my life to Christ, when I repented, that was a game changer. My life was better because of it. Mothers, this is what it means to be a great mother. When she speaks, her, her words are wise, and she gives instructions. How? With kindness. Where do you think that kindness comes from? It comes from a life that has been mellowed by mistakes and by the need of God's forgiveness. Wow. This is, this is instruction with kindness. This is instructions from a, a woman who's, who's gone through some very difficult times. You tell your kids, hey, my dear, my dear son, my dear daughter, it's going to be okay. But get your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't turn your back on him, and everything's going to be okay. Some of you parents, you need to go home and have your conversation with your kids like that right today. She goes on to talk about alcohol. It's not for you. It's not for kings, O Lemuel, my dear son. It's not for kings to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave alcohol. For if they drink, they must forget the law and not give justice to the oppressed. Alcohol is for the dying. And wine is for those in bitter distress. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. What's she saying? Drinking king is never a good king. A ruler who drinks, a ruler who craves beer and wine will pervert justice and act lawlessly. A drunken father is never a good father. A drunken mother is never a good mother. A drunken boss is never a good boss. 
A drunken leader is never a good leader. And that's what she's talking about here. Stay away from alcohol. You don't need it in your life. Alcohol is used by people who've lost hope. Alcohol is for people who don't trust in God, who don't believe God, who don't believe that God is in their life. Speak up, mothers and fathers. Hey, nobody's going to hell for having a beer. No one's going to hell for having a wine, a glass of wine. But you don't need it. You don't need it in your life. And this is where a mother comes along or a father and says, hey, let me just give you some words of wisdom. Let me just give you some instruction. Without condemnation or judgment, let me just tell you a better way to live. One of the things that Gloria and I have done is we've tried to have conversations with our kids about these things. We've never taken the Bible and beat them over the head with it. Don't drink wine. Don't drink beer. We've never done that. We never use the Bible to beat our kids on anything. But we had conversations. In my family, on the Duncalf side, my great-grandfather struggled with alcohol. In fact, it was such a struggle with him that my grandfather, his son, took what they called the temperance vow. Some of you may or may not have heard of that. Look it up. It's really quite interesting. But it was in the, I believe it was in the, uh, in the 1920s, around that time, and maybe slightly earlier, where people all over were taking these vows of temperance that they would never drink alcohol. Because it was, a, it was a massive problem at that time. Especially among those pioneers who for, who, who for them, life seemed so hopeless. It, I mean, it was terrible, difficult times. And so many, many, many husbands especially became alcoholics. And it became such a problem that ministers came together to try to solve the problem. What are we going to do? Because we're seeing wives beaten by their husbands. We're seeing children beaten by their husbands. What should we do? And so they started, started what they called the temperance movement because alcohol became a problem. And I believe, folks, we're on, we're on the trajectory that we're going to see that happening all over again. And so my grandfather took a temperance vow. And so we've spoken to our kids about that. And we've declared in our family, Duncast don't drink. We're not touching this stuff. We don't need it. We don't want it. It doesn't help us. And besides now... My kids' bank accounts are growing like crazy. Well, their friends have nothing. It was Jesse who said that to me. Dad, it's amazing how much money you can spend on a weekend on booze. Two, three hundred bucks. Some of his friends, hundreds of dollars. He says, but I'm putting it in the bank. Conversations. A drunken worker makes a lousy worker. Hey, you know, Pentecostals used to be sure that drinking alcohol was not for the believer, but that's changed. There's doubt now, and many churches now are questioning whether or not we should even be teaching that. One church, one of our POC churches, served alcohol at a ladies' shower in the church. And at a fundraiser, they were serving booze. Now, thankfully, our head office came and dealt with it. But folks, that is what, where we're at right now. Hey, when she speaks, her words are wise, and, her, and she gives instructions with kindness. She's not beating anybody over the head. She's just reasoning with her children. This is a better way to live. Why would you turn to the left or to the right? Stay on track here, and you're going to do good. You're going to do great. And then finally, 
she says to her son, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Isn't that fantastic? Stay away from sexual immorality. Stay away from alcohol. And make sure that you speak up for the poor and the helpless because they can't speak up for themselves. That's what's going to make you a great person, a great man, a great woman. It's if you are thinking about someone other than yourself. Don't be self-centered. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Speak up for those who are destitute. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy, the orphan and the widow, because that, James says, is what true religion is. And here's Solomon's mom teaching him his words of wisdom, his instruction with kindness, teaching him that if you're going to be caring for the poor and the needy, you won't be, you won't be able to do that if you're busy indulging in sexual immorality and getting stoned out of your mind. Be a great man, my son. Think of something in someone other than yourself. That's why the Duncalfs, and I'm saying this so that you understand I'm talking about my family, about the wisdom that drives the Duncalfs. That's why the Duncalfs don't just give so that we can keep the lights on in this place and keep this place going. It's why we embrace the Philippines. It's why we embrace Burundi. It's why we sent our kids to Costa Rica. Because Duncalfs care for the poor and the helpless. And they had a mother. They had a father, but they had a mother who spoke wise words to them and gave instructions with kindness. There's something more important than just thinking about yourself. Start living for other people. Make that what your life is about. And then suddenly, you know what happens? You rise to a whole new level. You, 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 just, you, you rise up out of the dust and out of the garbage of this society, and you rise to a whole new level of existence, of being. You reflect Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that Jesus came to the poor and to the needy? We're most like Jesus when we're caring for the poor and needy. That's why we moved into this community. Hey, you know, I was thinking about this. Why, why these three things? Why, why not four or five things? Why sexual immorality? Why alcohol? And why caring for the poor and the helpless? It's because God has created us to do great things. And Ephesians 2.10, one of my absolute favorite verses, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. For you to become all that God wants you to be, then you got to listen to the advice of the king's mom. Abstain from sexual immorality. Make sure that you protect yourself against all immorality. Make sure... Stay away from alcohol. You don't need that in your life. And start doing something great with your life. Start making a difference. Start caring for the poor and the needy. I thank God for my mom sitting here today because I'll tell you, when our, when our family decided we were going to all follow God, mom got her 
driver's license to drive a bus so that she could go through the north end and bring kids to church. That's what I grew up with. That's one of the reasons I came to this church. So I wanted, I wanted to be where there was need. I want to be in a place where I can maybe make a difference in this world. Where it's not about me. And so now my mom set that example for me. Now we're setting that example for our kids. When she speaks, her words are wise. And she gives instructions with kindness. What's the result of all that? I'm going to close with this. Her children stand and bless her. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Wow. That's a woman who's actually living according to her own advice. She's not living for herself. She's living for the poor and the needy. A woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Charm is deceptive. Beauty doesn't last. But man, that woman who fears the Lord, who does his work, who takes care of the poor and the needy, She's the one that deserves reward. And so Lemuel's mom says that, reward her for all she's done. And that's why we celebrate Mother's Day at our church, because we want to tell our moms, we love you. We want to reward you. We want to recognize you. We want to bless you and praise you for being the awesome moms that you are. Can we stand together? Hey, when, we're, when, I, when I'm done praying, 